Hello, welcome back to Romaniacs, the podcast that, like a trade war, is good and easy to win. <laughs> a special hello to all our British listeners on the European mainland who play Romaniacs on their mobiles without EU roaming charges. Enjoy it while you can, because Theresa May's announced will be leaving the digital single market, as well as the analogue one. So roaming data will revert to its original British price of three guineas per imperial <laughs> megabyte. <laughs> I'm Dorian Linsky. I've got two of our regulars with me. Naomi Smith is Campaigns Director for London First, and she's our voice of the Lib Dems, as she once stood for Parliament for the party. Hi, Naomi. How are you? I'm all right. I'm a little bit congested, though, so apologies, listeners, if I sound a bit bunged up this week. How are you feeling about Joe Swinson, the uh, Deputy Leader, sporting the idea of a statue of Thatcher in Parliament Square? Oh, but the, I think the problem with Lib Dem politics... Well, one problem <laughs> with Lib Dem <laughs> politicians is that they're often just not very good at politics. Um, now, I live in Westminster. Uh, I'm a lefty that lives in Westminster. And then the deputy leader of the Liberal Democrat Party is criticising the council, which is one of the most right-wing councils in the country. And she's attacking them from the right and in the mail. So, you know, the optics of that just really weren't very clever. She was much better, of course, when she was having a right or go at Humphreys on today about Carrie Gracie. So more of that, please, Joe. And we have Ian Dunt, editor of politics.co.uk and functioning Brexaholic. Hello. Hi, Ian. Where do you stand on the statue? Uh, we should not have that. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I can't think of anyone that possibly really wants a statue. Of that. I suppose there, there are those the sort of people that get bits of sandwich stuck in their mouth when they're still talking to you. Was, it, <laughs> was it a literal question, where do you stand on, on the, the statue? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I think on the face. While, <laughs> while vandalising. Yeah. Sorry, I've spoken too soon before you introduced me, which I don't know what the... I've broken the podcast, the first law of podcasts, apart from not talking about the podcast, is to speak before you're introduced. So we have an extremely special guest with us today, the great David Schneider, who you heard just there, is an actor, director, comedian and giant of Twitter.com. On the day-to-day, his disembodied head floated around a weather map of Britain, and he was also Brandt, the physical cartoonist. Alan Partridge punched him not literally, David, in the face with a turkey and later insisted he smell my cheese, you mother. Most recently, David co-wrote The Death of Stalin, which means he can never visit Russia. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. All of that is true. Uh, Have you had any disappointed late night communications from the... uh the Russian Twitter sphere. Um, there, well, there, yeah, there is a lot of Russians who are dis- disappointed, um, especially given recent events in Salisbury. I'm now denying that I had anything to do with the writing of the Death of Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think there's still talk about trying to get it shown there, and it's been amazing PR for all the countries around Russia. You know, all, all your yeah, I mean, Ukraine, we've just blown it away because <laughs> Russia's banned it. So it's in a way, it's good PR. But I'm hopeful that this film will still be. The irony of it is that you've got a film about repressive Russian regime that was screened in one cinema and the Russian police came in and stopped it. And you just want to go, <laughs> no, but this is, don't you realise? But no, they actually, so, it's, you know, it's, hopefully it will be. It's a bit like China's just, just um, banning 1984. It's just like, you're not meant to do it, you're not meant to be quite so on the nose about yeah, it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it was so, there was, you know, literally policemen going in, Russian policemen going in to stop a film about a Russian police state. Please <laughs> just get some irony. It's got popular in Georgia, is, is that right? It's sort of Stalin's... Yes, it's done well in Georgia, I think. Yeah, I mean, I got the sort of some figures through today and it was all in local currency in rubles. And I don't know whether it's like lira back in the good old days, which presumably we'll have to go back to once we Brexited, paying in lira. But, you know, where you go, bloody hell, I've, I've made 300,000 lira. And actually that's a couple of P. But it seems to be doing very well in Ukraine and Georgia and 
um, you know, Kazakhstan and all these places. Yeah. Mm. And we've been talking about bringing back Brandt, the physical cartoonist, so that yes. he can uh, dress up as a cake and shout, you can't have me and eat me, Mr. Johnson, <laughs> I'm, and so forth. What's so depressing about Brandt was that I have become Brandt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in when I was young, and to look at these stupid satirical cartoonists and being so obvious. And now every single tweet I do, I just, that's just Brandt. That's just, that's just like, so you become what you satirise in your early uh, 20s. That's what I found. I'm st- well, and, and of course, it's one of those cases of satire sort of um, not actually changing the way people worked at all because you still get the, the same sort of cartoon that we've, we've had since, well, I remember studying at school, which we've had since like, you know, 1910 at least, yeah. where things just have like labels on them because yeah. people don't get them. So yeah. it's just like, you know, tariff policy written on a yes. pig or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and we, but the, what has changed is that now we can all do those cartoons <laughs> thanks to the democracy of the internet and Twitter. So everyone is an irritating satirist and I, I put myself right at the front of that queue. We'll be talking to David Moore throughout the show and discussing the return of Alan Partridge as the BBC's voice of Brexit. Also, Theresa May's big Brexit speech did the climax to the Tory essay writing competition please anyone. To the dismay of economists everywhere and outgoing economic advisor globalist Gary Cohn, Donald Trump thinks trade wars are good and easy to win. What does that mean for Britain when he's supposedly our best and only friend in the whole wide world? And could the return of ID cards somehow keep us in the single market? All this and more after a quick announcement from Naomi. If you're not backing Romaniacs on Patreon, there's yet another reason to support your favourite seditious podcast, as well as all those nice t-shirts, mugs and bags, that is. We've just released the recording of our first Romaniacs Live exclusively to our lovely Patreon backers. So if you couldn't make it to London to hear the live panel, or you couldn't get tickets, or even if you just want to hear it all over again, you can hear over an hour of exclusive live without a safety net Ramoning on our Patreon page. You can download it as an MP3 and it's available to all Patreons on all tiers so even new backers can hear it. We're in the middle of planning the next Romaniacs Live right now and Patreon backers will always get early bird access to tickets and every euro cent goes to supporting the show. Find out more at Romaniacs.com, search Romaniacs Patreon or go to patreon.com slash Romaniacscast. Join in and own the Ramon. Thanks, Naomi. Now, have we got Brexit news for you? First up, Theresa May's big Brexit speech. If there was ever a moment that breezy optimism and sunlit uplands died forever, this was it. (laughs) A glum PM admitted that there is no mistaking the complexity of the task ahead of us and said we have to face up to hard facts. She recognised the benefits of the single market while saying that we're definitely leaving it and the customs union. She claimed it wouldn't set back progress in Northern Ireland or put the union at risk without explaining how. And she admitted she wanted to stay close to EU regulatory agencies, to environmental and consumer protection laws and to EU policies on state aid and fair competition. A blistering Observer editorial called it a sobering defeat for the UK, leavers and remainers alike. Ian, was she just stating the obvious that we've done something terrible and we're going to have to make the best of it? I don't, it was such a weird speech, wasn't it? Because it was, people kept on saying, can we have some more detail, please? And she went, OK, I'll give you all the detail you want about the plan that the EU ruled out 18 months ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll elaborate on it at length. Which she then did over, I mean, on and on and on it went. And it was actually, if you were to do that plan, it was a pretty good shift in it. She was picking the right kind of areas that you'd want to stay probably properly harmonised with, the right ones to stay equivalent, the right ones to diverge. All of the choices were fine. It was just that the EU said, days after, I think even possibly the day after the vote, you can't have that. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a goer. There's no point saying that you want some of your industries in somehow. And then she goes ahead, 18 months later, does this speech anyway. Today, the draft EU positions come out for the trade negotiations. They'll be properly finalised on the 29th of March, but the draft positions are out now. 
And it says exactly the same thing that the EU have been saying throughout this whole time. You can't just pick out bits of your economy. It doesn't matter how many fucking speeches you do. Mm. That mm. is not the way to, to do this. So at this point, like bafflement is, you know, and possibly despair are the only legitimate emotions you could possibly feel while watching her do this stuff. It's like the speech that she could have made before. Like now we're ready to trigger Article 50, perhaps. Mm. Yes. You know, now, now, okay, great. Sort of, even though that that's the, the EU said you can't have anything. At least we are getting there where we know sort of what our position might be. Let's now. I re- I say trigger Article 50 now. Now we're ready. Let's do it. But obviously we did. 18 months ago or whatever so it's a worry I think I think Hesseltine absolutely hit the nail on the head with his dismissal of it as platitudes and generalisations um, because you know that that's what it was there were still no specifics it was exactly the sort of speech as you say it should have been made a year ago it's also it, it's, well it's no closer to anything no it, but that's the thing about going for more details that really every speech she should make is we're fucked and then can you give us more details <laughs> oh, we're really fucked uh, it just it's it, it's a bad idea and, so how can and, it, and it was an internal Internal Tory party speech. Yes, again, it was still about you know treading this tightrope between the two sides of her party and trying to keep everyone happy. And what was the slogan? It was all trailed as being ambitious managed divergence. And so mm. the ambitious bit is there to reassure the Moglodites that you know we are going to go into this brave <laughs> new world as this wonderful country sailing around the world, you know, doing trade with others. And then the managed divergence for Team Subri to sort of keep them content that you know we're not about to sort of jump off. Any cliff edge like yeah. Lemmings. Managed but... Divergence is my favourite band, actually. <laughs> 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 it's, it's the way I've described every romantic relationship I've ever had. Um, <laughs> she, to, she made everyone unhappy, though. She? When you say she's trying to make everyone happy, it just it seemed so, like... I thought she made, I thought she did... I mean, in terms of the domestic response, I thought she got the best that she's had, certainly for any of these keynote speeches. Mm. It felt like most of the Remainers, most of the soft Brexiters, most of the hard Brexiters were sort of thinking, well, this is the best you've done so far. But I think there's a lot to learn from that really which which is this sort of it's not just the Tory party it's not just her that are hopelessly domestically inward looking picking at their belly button it's the whole political culture in this country so when journalists and observers look at it they keep on thinking well this sounds reasonable you know she's made some concessions over here she's done a bit over here she's putting all the numbers together so if she says we'll stick to you on goods then maybe wouldn't be any checks on a border there none of it's true if you understand how global trade works and none of it is true if you understand what the EU is, which is a rules-based institution, which will stick to those rules in order for it to function. But if all you assess is the internal British debate, it was quite ingenious and very, very thorough. It's just that the internal British debate has absolutely no fucking consequence at all to the thing that she's ostensibly trying to do. And there's a lot of talk about baskets. Yeah, she loves the baskets. Uh, I mean, is, that, is that to put the cherries <laughs> that she's picked into? Exactly, yeah. yeah. She's got, but she built another one. This, I don't know if you... Because before there was harmonisation, same rules, same mechanism. Sort of equivalence, you know, same, same uh, standards you're trying to get to, but a different way of getting there. Divergence. And then this time she had a new one, which was the creative basket. Oh. And the creative basket was the special one for financial services, just going, you know, oh, there's no precedent exactly for what we're trying to do. But uh, it would be really great if you wouldn't mind working with us on this and, uh, and off we could go. So now there's four baskets. The, the fourth one is the, the sci-fi basket and the other ones are based <laughs> vaguely on sort of dreams about what already exists in the EU in some way. When she said the Irish border could mirror the US-Canada border, um, even though Ireland has, has rejected this. And then I saw someone tweet a picture of the US-Canada border. <laughs> a lot of guns. Long queues, a lot of guns. Maybe she's suggesting the Irish border should be on the border between US and Canada or something. That's crazy. 
The Irish policy, that's the thing, and you know, where when I get into Twitter spats about it, I, I've for 18 months I've been saying, what is, cut the crap, what is your solution to the Irish border? Because mm. I just, I mean, she keeps trying, I mean, it's the short of a Harry Potter invisibility cloak along the whole length of it or getting Darren Brown involved or something. <laughs> I don't know how... I mean, please, so how, well, I didn't quite understand again what she proposed. No, she didn't, because she, she didn't. Because you, you can't it's, do it's, it. It's, don't, don't worry that you didn't okay. understand it. There was there was nothing no. old substance there. It was a recommitment to no hard border. But in order to do that, she therefore, to keep the EU happy, she is going to have to put a hard border in the Irish Sea. The DUP will never stand for that. Her government collapses. So she's she's either a goner by picking a side now or she's a goner in the future once she eventually is forced to pick a side and she's going for mm. delayed goner. <laughs> we, we all, we'd all go yeah. for delayed, delayed goner. Perfectly <laughs> rational. Yeah. So when we look back on this in uh, the exciting mini-series Brexit, um, how big a scene is this going to be? Is this is this an is this an important speech to step out of the kind of like news cycle for a bit? Is, does, does this uh, mean much in the path we're taking? It, I mean, it means a lot in that it was the last chance before the draft guidelines came out, before the EU started publishing its own position, for her to say, "This is how we're going to do it in a way that was consistent with something that the EU would allow," and she didn't do that. So. Now we have, you know, once we're quite used to this process now, this predictable process whereby we just start breaking down the things that we said were going to happen until they fit into the shape that the EU has already told us it's going to be. And you look at what the EU published this morning. Again, we record on Wednesday. It's heard on Friday. It was exactly what we have warned before on this program. It could be, which is it's an FTA. It's a bog standard Canada style goods FTA. Got a, a couple of pluses on that, maybe one plus realistically. You know, there's a little bit of something on services, but that was in CETA anyway. There's really, I mean, there's a little bit of allowance. It, it, they made some nice noises about aviation. They made some nice noises, and in some areas, uh, qualifications might be recognized, but it's pretty piddly stuff. It's within the realm of here's your trade agreement. You know, your, your basically your trade format, you can make 100 changes, sign the fucking thing, and then we're done. It's in that world that we're in right now, the Canada CETA world, with maybe a plus on it. And so that is about as direct a riposte to what she said as possible. There's no way of understanding the speech without then seeing what immediately came afterwards from Brussels. Secondly, it's been a great week for the ultra's vision of post-Brexit free trade with our American friends. Donald Trump just put a 25% tariff on steel and 10% on aluminium or aluminium. Insist on calling it (laughs) on national security grounds, which was the last straw for economic advisor Gary Cohn. The possibility of EU retaliation gave us the incredible City AM headline: "Hit the Chevy with a levy, tax your whiskey and rye." (laughs) So it was was worth it, really, Mm. wasn't it? (laughs) Meanwhile, the Independent discovered that US lobbyists are working to remove geographical name protections from UK foods after Brexit. Your Scotch whiskey could be distilled in Milwaukee, lovely town, and your Milton Mowbray pork pie could come from Chicago. And U.S. regulators are offering U.K. airlines a worse open skies deal after Brexit. Ian, tariffs are your celebrity mastermind special subject. <laughs> no, our trade, not. Our trade <laughs> the viewing war- figures on that episode. <laughs> 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 Are trade wars both good and easy to win? No, they're neither of those things. They're really, really fucking bad. And they're very, very hard to win because everybody loses, which is exactly what WTO is saying right now. Mm. He's trying to prevent any of this from happening by using this national security exemption, which I think is Section 22, I think it is, of some 1960s act that he's found somewhere. And there's also, I mean, in the GATT agreement, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, which is basically the sort of the embryonic form of the WTO, 
I think Article 21 has a national security exemption in it. So you could potentially use that to prevent it becoming a tit-for-tat tariff war. The thing is, nobody wants to go near that. And and actually, him calling it uh, under a national security board is actually quite a dangerous moment. Because think about what... The WTO doesn't have a court like the European Court of Justice or something. It's basically members policing themselves. And if this goes into some kind of tribunal structure then things get very bad very quickly. Because let's say that they find in his favour, and it's a national security move, which demonstrably How is... How is he saying it's national security? Is it, well, because just, he, just, he, just he gets to say whatever security. the fuck he likes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Silly question, I'm so sorry. Right, yeah. You expected some kind of intellectual yeah, consistency, yeah. I noticed. So no, 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 yeah. that's very old-fashioned. Um, so if, if they find in his favour, lots of other countries will start doing it. If they don't find in his favour, he would just go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And then the whole rules-based order comes into serious question. You know, it's fascinating to see just how they smash up the WTO. Because, of course, right now, Brexiters talk about the WTO. Like, oh, it's so lovely. It's not like the EU. But when you get right-wing populists and put them in the WTO, they want to smash the fuck out of that as well. Because mm. there is nothing they will not try and smash to satisfy their completely primitive solutions to very, very complicated problems. You cannot satisfy these guys. So, you know, you have to yeah. hold the line at some point and you'd see by how he's behaving right now exactly how that dynamic operates. And the hardline Brexiteers who were forever telling us that we were going to have these sunny uplands and doing trade with America, they're all now very, very quiet. I haven't heard much out of them at all over the last few days mm. since all of these tariffs yes. have been announced. Um, I, you know, and I think that's that's that, that's absolutely disgraceful and disgusting. Um, and, and I think he's... Well, I mean, you know, in terms of what this means for us, it, it's like we're leaving a long-term loving relationship based, you know, very peaceful relationship to enter a potentially highly exploitative and potentially even abusive but, one. Yeah, I mean, but he is, bad boys are so attractive, aren't well, they? That's, that's, that's a terrible <laughs> apparently, thing. Apparently. Sorry, but, I'm not letting my autobiographical <laughs> element come in, but yeah, they always leave you. You get loving, you, 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 you're affectionate, you've got no trade barriers, and they leave you for the bad boys. What's that about? <laughs> Yeah, and you know, yeah, I just, I just, you've been, uh, you've been why, why would we be leaving now <laughs> yeah. to, to do that with him? Um, you know, he's, he's just exploiting the UK's weakened position, swooping mm. in to exploit it for their own commercial gain. Well, of course, when the referendum happened, uh, we didn't think he was going to be president, so the Brexiters could go, well, you know, new relationship with America. And now you find that we kind of we've put a large part of our future of our trade policy in the tiny hands of an America first lunatic, and they are quite tiny hands. Mm. Mm. They are noticeably tiny hands. Yeah. It's funny, it's when the, this like, incredible phenomenon of nationalists working together, it's very hard to get guys like that to cooperate, right? By, by virtue of the program. So, you know, Trump was the big supporter of the whole Brexit thing. But then mm. when the Brexiters need him, he's like, oh, but fuck it. Sorry, America first. I don't know which part of that you didn't understand. Yeah. 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 It was like, yeah. I liked the racism. Yeah. 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 Inchoate yeah. rage. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like the yeah. protectionism. <laughs> And Shauna Morris of the US Dairy Export Council, we all know her. So protected origin rules have been a very controversial issue of the years. So why do these name protections matter? Does it, do, do we care if fetters made in Mexico or Jersey Royals come from Kenya? I don't know. Some people do. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to find a winner on that, on that issue, really. Uh, the Americans prefer sort of trademarks and things like that. So once you're out of the EU, you, that's probably the way it's going to go. And you will have these American companies making Cornish pasties and fuck knows what else. But... And the EU, I, when I was writing the book, I ended up getting completely lost in their descriptions of geographical indicators because it's kind of fascinating. There's like some cheese, you know, somewhere in France and the cow, there's only a certain kind of cow and you've got to do a certain thing to the cow. It's not just the area. <laughs> there's a whole really quite strange sort of backstory to almost every single one. 
But those geographical indicators are their own form of nonsense. Like the, the EU usually uses them in trade deals to make up for the loss of uh, sort of the cap policy, basically, where the, the EU made it almost financially impossible for developing countries to sell to their own people. So by virtue of that, they take these trade deals and they just chuck every geographical indicator into the deal to placate all the various member states. None of it really means anything. Nobody really cares. You know, the, the guy on a date who comes back with sparkling wine as opposed to champagne, does he notice? Does he care? You know, that it's not technically this sort of stuff. So th- this, this sort of, I mean, maybe I just hang out with the wrong kind of guys. Mm. And the wrong kind of dates, but like, nevertheless... I mean, by virtue, I just don't think they even work at an EU level. But certainly it's, it's part and parcel of, of the kind of things that we would lose. And for a, s- a few small industries, I think there's, there's some sausages, there's Cornish pasties, there's, there's a, another few bits. We don't actually have that many. But, the, you know, they're, they're going to lose out. They'll face the competition of the way the Americans do things. The thing is more and more about Brexit is that, like, the whole Trump thing makes is another thing that's been knocked down that is held up as this is a good thing about Brexit. It just, it's, it's like that, um, was it a German journalist at the end of Theresa May's speech who just said, is it worth it? Surely even for, even for leavers now, they lo- must look at Trump and they must just go, there's, it's, there's nothing. What is the, please tell me what's the pos- what are the positives, this vague, I don't know, sovereignty. I, it's it, everything, at least Theresa May's now starting to say, we'll have sort of slight the best we can hope for is slightly shitter than what we've we've got got now um i I just and you know we've all you know metropolitan league we've got to get into the um frame of mind of the people who want to leave but i i i need help what is the help me what is the positive (laughs) thing about no the the American trade thing is clearly not going to work. What is, what is the positive? Well, I don't think that this is where kind of polls don't really tell us enough because mm. people do kind of lie in polls or, <clears throat> you know, perhaps lie to themselves. And I think if you could sort of look into the souls of, of leavers um, and find out who really genuinely believes that this has to happen and that it will work brilliantly. Mm. I, j- I just can't believe that that's a very large... And number. There seems to be so many of the arguments, including from Theresa May, just seem to be like, mm. we've had every politician, really. It's just like, well, that's the vote. And yes. you, okay, you go, okay, yeah. right, that's one argument, but, but how many of you actually believe this is a good idea? If you make a mistake in life and you have a chance to put it right, surely you, you, you tried everything to put it right. I mean, I've got, I have, I, this sounds a strange sentence, I realise how it's all lined up and I'm saying, am I really going to say this? But I've got a friend who's a lever, um, <laughs> because it sounds like I only have a one friend and one, and happens to be a lever. But, um, but my lever friend, and I was just, because I was coming out here, I thought, uh, I, I said, how do you feel Brexit is going? So Brexit is a great idea. It's just being executed badly. Mm. And it feels like that's, you know, but I mean, it's like um, a car powered by puffins is a great idea. <laughs> it's just being executed badly. That's the sort of thing they're, they're holding on to. But it seems that that is what the leave, from my sample of one, um, that's what the... the well, leave- it's their old Iraq excuse. Right? Or, or indeed the old, um, the old sort of communist mm. argument. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was, you know, there was a great idea, but sort of Stalin was doing it badly. Mm. It's like there, there are a lot of these things where mm. you, you, you just go, I wasn't wrong to think that there would be a way that this would, this yeah. would end brilliantly. We, we just didn't Brexit quickly enough or yes. we need to go back and do it all over again because, yes, it wasn't mm. So how do we show them? How do we... Uh, that's, the, you know... I, I... Well, this is it. We need to get people to make the leap from this is the Tory party handling it badly to anyone would be handling it badly because it is fundamentally a it's terrible a idea. It's a car powered by puffins. Yeah. It won't work. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got the message right there. Yeah. Yeah. Put that on a bus. Put yeah. it on a bus. Yeah. Start driving around. A bus powered by puffins. puffins. <laughs> and then it's not working and people go, oh! Yeah. <laughs> 
show don't tell, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Exactly. You see? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And finally, for collectors of vintage government policies in near-mint condition, barely used, ID cards were very nearly the poll tax of the Blair and Brown governments, and they were swiftly abandoned when the coalition came in in 2010. But now Progress, the magazine of continuity Blairism, has an intriguing suggestion. What if the introduction of ID cards could reconcile what Leave voters want with single-market membership? Progress director Richard Angel suggests a 10-point immigration programme with entitlement cards for access to public services to stop the right from calling immigrants scroungers and a Belgian-style immigration system where EU visitors have to register after 10 days and leave after three months if they haven't found work. Angel writes, It would make the no change of staying in the single market and customs union acceptable to the country overall and maybe, just maybe, bring the country together. I love love that, just maybe. Probably not. Um, ID cards would were terribly unpopular in the first place. Uh, is there is there anything in this? I'm not sure that there is, to be honest, because immigration has actually fallen quite far down the list of things that, that voters care about. It's been falling continuously since 2015. Uh, and in February's Ipsos Mori, uh, they're the, the pollsters that sort of cover the big issues on a very regular basis. It is now way behind the top two, which are NHS and Europe. Uh, Brexit, single market, whatever, they sort of bunch those into into one category. It's fallen right down below those. And of course, NHS is very, very closely linked to immigration because we've had tens of thousands of uh, healthcare professionals leave since the Brexit vote. So actually, I think the stuff that people are really now beginning to care about are those things. And, and, and it'll be making that causal case about if you love the NHS, you've got to get real about, you know, ending free movement. Uh, that, that, that'll that be the thing. I, I personally can't see this as being something that will appease enough people to keep us in. I definitely think the ID cards thing is, is a mistake and doesn't need to be in there. It doesn't need to be in there just in terms of how you'd operate this thing. Um, and it, it sort of divides a domestic audience. Like, I'll never fucking accept ID card. I don't care what the penalties so, of that are. They can send it to me and I'll send them a video of me burning it. Um, there's also a thing here of we need to get the EU to reform freedom of movement that doesn't need to happen and also I take real fucking anger at them suggesting that the Europeans should go fuck with a system that is working really very very well indeed just because Britain's had some kind of historical baby fit however there are eight other ideas there and I think that those ideas are are probably worthwhile I dislike every single one of them but the extent to which I dislike them probably suggests that they may be quite useful for getting over soft levers and if there is a second referendum we need to have an offer to that part of the electorate. There has to be, you know, we can't do what happened in the first Remain one, which is like running away from the subject of immigration altogether. You can't just do what I want to do, but I do want to do for a certain part of the population just to say immigration is a good thing. Embrace Mm. it. This is your society. This is the open society. You fight for it. You also need to have something for those guys. And within EU rules, you can have this three-month period where you show that you've either mm-hmm. got the funds or you've got the job. And if yep. you don't, then you, you have to go. Now, that is not unreasonable, and it's the kind of concession we can make to preserve the system mm. as it is. Mm. And by virtue of doing that and putting in exit checks, I think with this kind of programme, you could go and say, look, it's fair movement. You come up with some kind of fucking rebranding thing that you, know, you, can, you can make work. Ultimately, it's the same system with reforms. And I, I think that that's where you'd need to be if there's going to be a second referendum. And they've laid out a pretty good sort of idea of how you might do it. And, and there was a really good Bloomberg piece earlier this week um, that's uh, looked at the British um, election studies work, showing that last year's general election result was not a youth quake coming out for Corbyn. It was a rent quake. Um, and that it was, you know, people up to sort of 45 still stuck in private rented sector and, mm. and feeling like they're, you know, 
huge chunks. And that is all, of course, linked to perceptions of immigration. You know, there is somebody who doesn't look and sound like me who's ahead of me in the queue for housing or, or, mm. or whatever, or inflating uh, rents in my area because, I, you know, we haven't built enough homes. So I think part and parcel of selling anything in a second referent absolutely has to be about addressing uh, the, the crisis in public services mm. and housing. And that's that's a terrible tragedy of Brexit. There, it's, you know, immigrations. It was brilliant scapegoating. Immigrants and the EU got the blame for everything, which is without getting too lefty and Labour. Uh, it was which is the Tories' fault. It was just, the Tories smashed the system. It was, it was the Tories, <laughs> the austerity that created the situation that led to Brexit. I mean, I I just went crazy last. I mean, I was having a Twitter break because I was doing some writing. So thankfully, I didn't uh, <laughs> sort of vent. But when um, uh, Osborne and Cameron were celebrating that they'd finally, the deficit has been, I can't remember what element of the deficit because oh, yeah. we're still huge debt, but the, two years later, but the, the deficit has been tackled finally. Mm. And Cameron tweeted, it was worth it. And you just wanted to go, it mm. was worth it? The NHS in crisis, the country burning down in flames. <laughs> what? I mean, people going to food banks, hundreds of thousands of food. That is worth it? Um, I mean, even if it's just Brexit, he's just completely burnt the country down. And he's did, saying did it's you worth see, it. There was, there was brilliant stuff on Twitter. I mean, I rarely say that sentence. There was, but, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very, very occasionally, <laughs> present company accepted. There was a brilliant thing that earlier this week where people were talking about embarrassing things that they'd done in their lives that they still cringe about now and comparing that to why isn't David Cameron really ashamed of ruining the entire country with his referendum? So I think Zoe Williams from The Guardian had tweeted something like, I never forget the embarrassment of introducing my boyfriend to his own brother as a party because I just hadn't realised it. And you know, <laughs> 10 years on, I still cringe. But hey, at least I didn't wreck yeah. the entire economy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where is why why isn't he showing more humility over? So so that's that's that angers me that you know that's that it's not about immigrants and and that the case isn't being made and that uh, even the saintly Jezza who I have a certain amount of time for says says things like you know immigrants have lowered wages um, for which there is as no I understand me you'll tell me more but there's no evidence next to no evidence for and you know still banging that anti-immigrant drum. Well, mm. I'd like to kind of uh, drop in a quote that I found in uh, my book research this week from, it's from Orwell in 1946, and it's basically that. It's basically kind of what you're saying. And he goes, the fact is there is strong popular feeling in this country against foreign immigration. It arises partly from simple xenophobia, partly from fear of undercutting wages, but above all from the out-of-date notion that Britain is overpopulated and that more population means more unemployment. <laughs> In the end, it is doubtful. He explains what, why that isn't true. Then he goes, in the end, it is doubtful whether we can solve our problems without encouraging immigration from Europe. In a tentative way, the government has tried to do this, only to be met by ignorant hostility, because the public has not been told the relevant facts beforehand. Then he says, the government needs to drive home the fact, which has never been properly grasped, that British prosperity depends largely on factors outside Britain. And that was 1946. Mm. It's extraordinary. Mm. You could basically just say almost every word of it right now. Yeah. Even just like phrases like, you know, the undercutting wages and Britain yeah, is full. Changes. And he says that when there were refugees coming from Nazi Germany in 1940, he, people said, what do they want to come over here for? They're only after our jobs. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Which, and my mum was one of those refugees, is absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd she get she, on? <laughs> no, she got, got a job. Um, but, yeah, no, it's so, it's so infuriating. And that's what's what the Tories did so badly. The, the, the Remain campaign, the Tory Remain, you know, it was like in 2010 immigrants and the EU are bad. 2011 immigrants and the EU are bad. And so it went on and on. And then suddenly 2016, actually it's fine. It's all fine. Uh, well, let's not talk about immigrants for the EU. It's just so frustrating. Anyway, what do we do now? Still, it was all worth it. It was, it was all <laughs> worth, worth it. it, yeah. yeah. It, 
Now, if Romaniacs was news at 10, this would be our and finally story. Ousted UKIP leader, heartbreaker Henry Bolton is setting up a new party. And with pathos, he's calling it One Nation. It will campaign unceasingly for our full independence from the EU and be the professional version of UKIP that he wanted to create before he accidentally left his wife for a racist model. <laughs> Ian, We've all you... been there. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, so, it's so easily done. You just look the wrong way, boom. Ian, are you looking forward to covering the One Nation conference? There should be plenty of room in the phone box. No, I don't. I don't plan to go there at all. <laughs> I don't see what, what possible pertinence. I mean, I like the idea that he's, it's almost like a scientific experiment of, if UKIP's got no members and I try to divide it, <laughs> how many members are there on each What's side? What's the square like, root of zero? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the only intellectual nutrition to be found here. But he will probably get sacked by himself uh, in the, the only meeting. He will have, I've lost confidence in me, and, uh, but I'm refusing to resign. <laughs> I remember when we were discussing the whole Joe Marnie, uh, Henry Bolton thing a few weeks ago, and I said, pretty sure she's not actually attracted to him, and it's just some kind of like weird power thing. So he's probably thought, unless I'm the leader of a party, she's not going to still carry on having sex with me. So I'd better create a party so I can be leader so that she doesn't dump me. This could be the whole of Tinder in 20 years' time. Everyone's <laughs> Everyone got their own the party, party of one. <laughs> I mean, the the sort of serious point, I guess, is that, uh, you know, there's no glee to be had in the collapse of UKIP because the Tories have become UKIP, basically. Mm. You know, so there's... They're, they're all, you know, all the philosophy, all uh, the UKIP philosophy has been inherited by the Tories. So it's like there's no need for them because they now are running Brexit. That's completely true, but it's just that we're so devoid of glee that I have to find it there anyway. Just fair, <laughs> enough. fair enough. I'm starved. Yeah, it doesn't amaze. Yeah. Like he's a wonderful, he's a wonderfully sketched comic character, isn't he? Yeah, Henry, Henry. Bolton. Yeah, yeah, like there's lots of exciting plot twists. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's there's some pathos there. There's kind of slapstick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's. I mean, the UKIP has has been very uh, entertaining. You know that that sort of thing. Uh, like I, I've got a tweet template, which is like, um, uh, is anyone free between two thirty and four thirty? Because I'm down to be the UKIP leader um, <laughs> between then, and I, I need to go to the dentist. Or whatever. Uh, so they they're sort of they are endlessly fascinating how their their turnover, but it also makes you realise how effective Farage was, mm. uh, and and you know it's sort of. Strangely, is and in a chilling, chilling way. But yeah, Henry Bolton, comedy character. Well, it's also that thing of sort of. Um, oh fuck me! I'm about to make a football metaphor. Oh, it's oh. I can't even comprehend. So it's a bit like Man United. I can't even believe this is happening. Keep going. So, <laughs> you've, it sounds convincing it, yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah. They are a team. But is it going to involve like Sir Matt Busby or something? I'm backing away from it. Um, so I mean, the thing is. Farage had ages to work on that stuff. I mean, years and years and years, he was quite quietly plugging away. He had Gwaine Towler, who was a really quite professional press officer, making sure that UKIP guys were really polite when they went into TV studios. They turned up on time. They weren't sort of, you know, half drunk and red-faced with outrage and shouting at some, at some intern who opened the door for them. That professionalization was not just Farage. But then it was also, Farage, with a lot of time to master that particular way of talking and that kind of wink-wink, mm. innuendo, reactionary bullshit he has. Most of these other guys, I'm not saying that they have that talent anyway, but they also just haven't really been given the time. You know, I mean, they, they've only had three or four months, mm. and in that kind of scenario, even if they were very, very talented communication experts, I don't think they'd have been able to get any further than they have. And they're not. They're fucking morons, <laughs> so they've got to know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What was the well, football metaphor? I want to know. So it was like Farage's Man United. Is that? No, I can't. I can't. I, just, I, can't, I can't do it credibly. It's just it's a complete nonsense. But it was nice that you tried. Thank you. Maybe yeah, next time. Nice. <laughs> I'll work my way up to it. Now for a quick commercial message. The weather's awful. The news is even worse. What you need is a holiday. As a sophisticated cosmopolitan Europhile, you will, of course, want to visit the glories of mainland Europe while we've still got freedom of movement. We recommend Greece, and specifically our friends at Everymatic, the boutique travel concierge that everyone can afford. Whatever your budget, whatever your taste, Alex and Stevie at Everymatic can put together the perfect Greek holiday for you. Our producer, Andrew Harrison, has been using Everymatic for years. What's the story? Well, they are fantastic personal service. Uh, they're affordable. And well, if you're ever going to visit Europe, now is the time to do it because we don't know if we're going to be able to do it in the same way in future. Greece is definitely the place to go. It, it, it remains uh, incredibly affordable. But also the great thing about Everymatic is they know everywhere inside out. So they can build the holiday around what you want. So if you're a family or if it's just uh, you and, and, and a friend or a partner, uh, whatever your tastes, they, they'll, they'll build the thing around you. Lots of people think that uh, boutique travel is only for uh, oligarchs and the yacht owners and um, every matic is boutique travel that you can you can afford and you can uh, take advantage of. So I recommend it highly. Um, you know, whether you want to go to Athens, which has got a fantastic restaurant scene, fantastic creative culture, or whether you want to go to an island where there's literally no people at all uh, or anything between those two extremes, they'll, they'll, they'll sort you out. So drop them an email at alex at everymatic.com and tell a Romaniac sent you. Whatever your budget, they'll fix you up with the best holiday you've ever had. Our special guest today is David Schneider, actor, writer, comedian and compulsive tweeter. He played the scientist in 28 Days Later, which means he's fully prepared for a total breakdown of society. And he co-wrote The Death of Stalin, which means he's well-versed in the denunciation of traitors and saboteurs. And one of his signature roles was as Tony Hares, the heartless BBC commissioning editor who denies Alan Partridge a second series of Knowing Me, Knowing You. David, Alan Partridge is coming back as the BBC's voice of Brexit. Mm. Did Tony Hares die in vain? Uh, I, I think I was, I'm quite pleased that he's a new commissioner has given him his second series, <laughs> finally. Um, and, and obviously, you know, times have changed and Partridge is mainstream now. He's, his, his, he's in the... He's in the driving seat. So he would enjoy that metaphor. He's in the driving seat with his sling black gloves. Um, that, you know, that what he was ridiculed for his opinions, but now his opinions are what, you know, they're in the mainstream or 52 to 48. So he's, he, there's no doubt that he would be, he would vote Tory. We know that. And that he's a Brexit supporter. So um, I'm interested to see how they bring that into the new series. Because we, we've had stand-up comedians on the podcast talking about the challenges of making basic jokes work on stage. Mm. Do you think that character-based comedy as a narrative is just, is, is like a sort of better way to kind of to deal with some of this stuff? Well, there's a, I mean, the climate's very interesting now in two ways. For, for satirists, where where the world is out-satirising you all the time, so it's sometimes harder to... to so this is preposterous. I mean, Trump is constantly yeah. doing stuff that you would reject 
Um, as a, if you proposed it as a writer, they would say, just get, this, get out of here. You need to re- rewrite it and make it believable. Like, remember when we thought Sarah Palin was bad? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just con- so it's hard as a satirist. But also, in- interestingly, well, you'll be the judge of that. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been commissioned to write um, an adaptation of Stanley Johnson's book about Brexit. So Stanley Johnson, Boris's dad. Um, uh, and it's called Compromat. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting book. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's full of great ideas. Um, and interesting ideas, and it's about how the Russians, in particular, uh, stitched up uh, Brexit. I mean, preposterous, <laughs> I know. Um, but um, but part of what I have to do there is try and. I mean, I've I've made it much more satirical than than he's got it, um, um, and fuel, as a fuel for anger. But but um, try to yeah. So sorry, Stanley, but it's my my project now. Um, but uh, um, is is try to write. Um, a character that is um, likable but pro-Brexit. When you're such an angry, knee-jerky um, uh, Remainer like myself, um, to try and think into the, the lead character who he's he's not Boris because it's his dad wrote the book, but I've sort of just made him a little bit more Borisy. Um, the lead character is 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 ambitious and a, a lever, and 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 it's like it's almost like. You know how they say, you know, in in the metropolitan, we're stuck in our metropolitan bubble. I can't even say it without bubbling up. Uh, uh, you know, we've got to think in, inside how levers think and and the fifty two percent. So it's been an excellent. I mean, I'm, I think I'm failing at the moment, um, judging on the notes I've just got back. But you know, um, it's that, that exercise in trying to see what the what the point is from the levers point of view. Well, I think. I think you sort of have to. I'm not sure if anyone here saw uh, David Hare's Collateral recently, but the um, the political storyline in that was was unbelievably poor. There's a scene between two characters, a kind of a sort of rebel lefty MP and the very sort of sort of Blairite whatever it takes kind of leader, which is like a kind of political journalist version of The Room, where people <laughs> you're just going to get drunk and turn up and shout out yes. the stupidest lines. And I thought this is actually less sophisticated than, you know, Black Panther or Captain America Civil War or that strand of Marvel movies where the whole point is that the the antagonist has a point. Yes. And you're meant to think your way into it. And, you know, David has done some good political drama in the past, but this just, I just, just felt like there is nothing to be gained from just... Uh, no, and that's demonising a... the side you don't agree with. Yeah, yeah. and that—that's the the great thing about Shakespeare is you know he'll always give his villains you know a little bit of you you feel for them in, yeah. in a way. But it's just, you know it's hard it's hard with the, the to, to to put in why levers want to do it. I mean, it's, what's interesting about the book is that there's an idea. One of the ideas, there's loads of ideas about the book. But one of the ideas is that um, the prime minister equivalent. So it's a sort of parallel life. So there's you know. Uh, Jeremy Hartley is the Prime Minister who's David Cameron so it's called Jeremy Hartley um, is um, uh, is well we're not sure So, and I won't do too many spoilers looks like he's been bribed by Russia to put on the referendum because, and, and I'm sort of running with that because really no sensible <laughs> Remainer would put on a referendum so sort of you go of course Cameron wants, was so he's a closet lever spoiler right, alert right. Um, and, and that's so it's, it's playing with interesting ideas like that where you just think the only possible explanation for Cameron to go for the referendum was that he's a lever uh, and it's sort of so it's 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 clever in that way um, I, I love this idea that you've taken a book by Boris Johnson's dad yeah, and yeah. turned one of the worst characters in it into his own son <laughs> 
in that yes. way, just massively worsening whatever traumatic social relations already exist within a already quite conflicted family. Yes, yes. So, and in that way, my job will be done if I achieve that. Um, no, no, because I think um, in if you read the book, there's the the Boris Johnson character is called Harry Stokes, and it's, I'm not saying that he's off stage most of the book but he's basically he's in Tanzania he's miles away um so I think what Stanley has done is just he's just not gone the whole Boris thing so I've sort of brought a slightly more Borisy character but not not too obviously Borisy character because what is what angers me and I think what angers people is 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 I mean I brought in this thing where um the Boris Johnson character or let's not let's call him he's called Barnard because he isn't Boris Johnson but he's called Barnard but he decides to back uh, leave on the basis of a, a coin toss, which is hmm. sort of what Boris Very did. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Boris is basically, that's what infuriates me about Boris, is that he's basically 52-48 himself yep. um, pro-leave. He's basically on the line, isn't he? Um, but he's had to run to be a 127% um, pro-leave. Uh, pro um, but so what basically, or everything... Uh, so if, if, if it gets made, which I hope it will be, you know, every, everything in our country, oh, we're completely fucked based on effectively Boris Johnson, though it's not Boris Johnson, uh, tossing a coin <laughs> and saying uh, it's, it's this sort of background of public school debating where, you know, I, I went to a, a minor public school and, you know, there was the debating society and you would this house believes in fox hunting or this house believes in capital punishment is good. Uh, and it and you were on the basis of a toss of a coin, you were allocated what you believed. And it's that that there are with Boris in particular, there's a way where he's just seeing it as a debating society. And as long as he wins, it doesn't matter if if it is, you know, that end, that classic meme now yeah. from the road and everything is destroyed and only <laughs> Boris with a small child and a shopping trolley remains. <laughs> but he's telling that small child, I won what? the debate. Um, my rhetorical techniques were excellent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I think that's so one of the great things or one of the, you know, there's there's two great things about Brexit. There's your podcast. I'm a massive fan. <laughs> um, so there's, there's so thank well God safe. for Brexit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, and the other thing is just the, the, it makes you feel, makes me create, I mean, the amount of metaphors that, uh, the the joy of like Twitter, you know, all the metaphors. I mean, I I've got my favourite metaphors. I you know the, whether it's the um, the iceberg Titanic metaphors is, is the one that I, I I love a lot. You know that that fact that you would spot uh, an iceberg two years away and steam towards it as, as fast as you can and then if the ship sinks it's because we're talking the ship down rather than sinking. Um, so I think there's. Uh, even though it's that terrible dark humour, there's an amazing creative surge that Brexit and Trump has has, has caused. That you see, you see on Twitter. Twitter, obviously, it's dark. Hello, all my Nazi friends. You know, it's a terrible place. Um, but also, it's um, amazingly creative now. Um, I mean, I'd rather go back to how it used to be when I don't know if any. I was on Twitter. I think from 2000. Eight and we used to gamble across fields like sheep rather than like, like hashtag pun games. It, what do you what about then? Beatles songs but with cheese? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was lovely. So obviously I prefer to go back there, but there's something exciting about you know that the creativity that you see in the face of this terrible bleak future. Well, it seems almost like the you know it's sort of the best comic medium for responding to these kind of heightened times because stuff can come out so so fast and I wonder whether actually I did a, a feature on the last series of Veep the one after Armando had left yes and you know I did wonder you probably address this on the on the Death of Stalin press tour but you know th there was some relief that he just didn't have to deal with Trump and of course yes. the new showrunner has just gone we're, we're not going to 
Yes. This is not about the real world. Yeah. And so we're going to satirise aspects of, of sort of politics. But if you want to just score direct hits on what's happening, Twitter just sometimes it's just just a, just a yeah. funny gif or whatever. Exactly. I mean, the, 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 the problem is, does it make a difference? And it's that Peter Cook thing about, yeah. you know, during the Weimar Republic and as the, or as the Nazis took over, it was a heyday for satire. And it was, it was great. Yeah. Bloody hell, we were really, Hitler was, oh, I've done this new meme, it's really taken Hitler down. But, you know, so it sort of does satire <laughs> make a difference. And the other point is, I suppose, with with Veep, and that's why Death of Stalin ended up very timely. And you know, the the best marketing that you know, our main chief marketing officer was Donald Trump in a way, because uh, there you you know, it's you're telling stuff about today, and sometimes you have to skip back to even imagined and imagined. So you have to skip back to the past or look at an imagined world, mm. um, and sometimes that can be more effective. Uh, and I think that's why, yeah, Veep is is in a difficult position. That's why they're winding. Up thing, but sometimes you look at you know we were lucky with Death of Stalin in a way that a lot of stuff that we wanted to say about authoritarianism, about idiot authoritarianists as well. You know, there's one thing that being a, a brutal dictator is terrible, but if, if that brutal dictator is an idiot as well as one of the main characters in um, Death of Stalin is Malenkov, um, then how dangerous that is. And along comes a idiot authoritarian and wins the presidential election. So you know, it makes you realise how fragile democracy is. I mean, as we all see. Something we've asked other guests has been, do you think the Brexit vote would have gone differently if the referendum had been held after the American election? Yeah, it's an yeah, it's an interesting thing. I I don't know. I, I I mean, who knows? But I think the thing is that it's possibly possible that we would have still done it because, you know, there was so much deceit and there was so you know mm. there was we didn't quite realise how bad Trump would be. I don't, I, who knows? Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know, yeah. Well, you run a social media consultancy. Mm. Uh, um, can you, we learn anything from the, the Leave campaign social media game? Or has... I mean, I remember at the time it was kind of, you know, praised for its effectiveness, uh, if not its honesty. Yeah. But now it just seems that... And, and we can all see it now. Everybody's become very alert to sort of bots. I mean, they're not that hard to find yeah. because you just look at who they're following, who's following them, how many numbers they have in their name, etc., yes. etc. Yes. But, you know, I wonder, does that mean that actually what we thought was a very good so- social media strategy was was actually just a lot of kind of astroturfing and... But astroturfing is a great social media strategy in itself. So, so astroturfing uh, is where is what the bots do. It's it's so that you yeah. feel that there's everyone has this opinion, but it's not a real opinion. It's it's astroturfed. It's artificial oh, opinion. Right. Um, and, but what it does make you do, and especially with you know influencers and journalists and so it makes you think. Well, it seems that there's loads of people who feel that Brexit is still fine and let's get on with it. Um, so I better, uh, you know, better um, adjust my opinions and my opinion piece or my policies uh, accordingly. So it is the bots and the astroturfing is very effective. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know from the social media work that I do, um, you know, that my company does, how just how effectively you can target. It is freakish i mean i i'm a little bit um worried myself because like facebook keeps serving me um offers of um on like um well, they're not colostomy bags but it's that thing when you need a wee when you need a bag to win wow. um, and i think what the hell? i mean I, i'm obviously i'm almost 55 and i must catheter. have a, a catheter so yeah facebook targets me and offers me catheters all the time um uh, so just i just get like a sort of leisure catheter just they're quite lazy or, uh, yes yeah, no, there's a market and it's to go for like a go sort of yeah 
stripes. Oh, yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of decorative catheters. Long, I don't know. I, long but, plays. Yeah, I don't know, but somewhere I must have clicked on. Uh, I don't know what I clicked on, but anyway, it's, I'm very targeted. I'm, well, I'm 55. I'm a certain, anyway. I mean, but I now know from what we do was for, for broadcasters and brands and what have you, is you target incredibly specifically, uh, you know, so that if they, so through joined up, uh, what they call it, um, uh, I've forgotten the term now but but so so car manufacturers will know when you're on the website um they'll they'll be able to join it up with your phone so when you walk through the door there's a thing that picks up what your phone number is and, and then it can tell it can refer to what you've checked on the website on social media so they'll know exactly what you've looked at they'll know if you you know they know when you've nipped to the toilet because there's a 10 minute break uh, and and you can target exactly you know 54 year old men with who need catheters you know <laughs> jewish men in north london who bang on about brexit all the time you can target them uh and 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 it's so effective and, and i think the leave campaign did it brilliantly um whether it was you know um uh, all, always legal who knows but but they did it brilliantly. uh labor did it really well in 2017 the election um and it's what it's a bit of a wild west uh where the wild west where if I know, i'm feeling this metaphor is not going to work but let's give it a go where there's a massive 80 foot sheriff which is mark zuckerberg but only him and he just he just tells everyone what's 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 going to happen but otherwise it's all all these dark posts that serve and people just don't know and there's one thing to tackle fake news that is um public and that uh, you can see public but dark posts that are served to you on messenger or that serve to you specifically so no one else can see them um uh, they can, you know, how do we know that that isn't just fake news? How do we know that that's not lies? But at the moment, I suppose we, you know, Remainers are kind of trying to take in some, the moral high ground, disapproving of this. If I sort of found out that lots of the kind of uh, kind of Remaining people that sort of I interacted with or retweet Ian um, were actually, it was astroturfing. Again, mm. it, was just, it was just sort of fake. Just the fact that they would be our fakes wouldn't make me feel sort of very good. So yeah. It doesn't seem like... Mm. This is something we can yeah. learn from and, and emulate because then that just seems like it makes it just takes everyone down into the muck, mm. creating this kind of illusory world. Well, it's the Hillary the Clinton f- thing, is no, when they go low, we go high, which worked out really well for her, <laughs> as you can see. Um, yeah, it's it's a tri- it's a tricky thing. I had a, a strange moment listening to one of your podcasts uh, a few weeks ago, where you had an expert in bots mm. and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was great. He kept on slagging off Dorian. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know who I was. I <laughs> he wasn't slagging me off. He was just like I was just a, like a blur to him. That was, it was very pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. that that's that's what you're meant to do. Is I didn't realize I left it a bit late. Um, but but he defined a bot. You know, sort of obsessively banging on about the same subject. I basically realized I am and a bot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's the hard thing about being a lefty is that we're still it's the moral high ground and we. It try hurts to, us more if we do. Yeah, you know, it was just, like Helen Lewis, last week's mm. guest. You know, that the left plays on a higher difficulty setting, um, and hmm. and that's that's what we have to you know we have to deal with. Do we? How dirty do we get? I mean, it's, it was like that in traditional politics, but mm. now you know. Do we do bots or do we just focus our finances better on our own dark posts, do better dark posts, better social media um, advertising, which I think is what probably we should be doing. Or, or the puffin 
car. Or, or a car, or actually make a car <laughs> powered by, by puffins. puffins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's definitely the best use of money. <laughs> and finally, what do you, what is your kind of uh, optimum scenario? I mean, well, what would you like to happen with Brexit, and what do you think is most likely to happen? Well, I mean, I'd like it all to be called off. I'd like it all to come out of um, the Dallas shower. Um, like that 50, 60 million of us have been crowded into Bobby Ewing's shower and we come out. I mean, it's been crowded in there. It's not as it's like Henry Bolton's um, phone box. Um, but we come out and we go, what a terrible, terrible dream it was. I mean... I went to see. Was it was it on your podcast that people were not impressed by um, the Gary Oldman movie? Uh, was it or maybe? Yeah, oh, Dark we, Star, yeah. Well, so, we hadn't seen it, but we, we still felt that like we could judge yeah. it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is good uh, in in many ways. But what, what, watching that, I just thought Theresa May could just go. Listen, I'm now going to put my country first. Uh, this cannot work. Under these circumstances, we need to um, compromise. Uh, we uh, we understand that there's a, uh, an issue with immigration, so we'll do some of the ten things that you know maybe this um, the Belgium situation with the um, with the break. We understand that um, that uh, austerity has made a lot of people left behind. So a lot of what she said when she first became prime minister, um, and we find a compromise. Um, so maybe that's. Uh, the customs union I don't know I mean I would love to say let's do have a second referendum but I just think the nastiness mm. after that if if then if we win and the nastiness I just don't so it's as so I probably think now I mean I I I change every day but I, I, now I sort of think the softest possible Brexit with Theresa May saying I am uh, Boris shut up I'm prepared to resign I've looked at everything this is the, given the rote the referendum vote, this is the best thing that we can do, and that's the softest possible Brexit. And then possibly it goes to an election, and that's then Labour, by some miracle, come out and say, we are going to stop Brexit and then get into power. That's it. that's the only way I can see you could stop it, is with Labour-backed ending Brexit in an election. Could she, like Churchill, have an inspirational ride on the district line? In which, <laughs> Maybe we in just need to... Ordinary Brits just go... But, Mum, what about the border with Northern Ireland? Yeah, yeah I think that, that's, that's the only way we've got to get her on the district line. No, yeah. you're, so you have seen the film, have you? Or you... No, I've just I've, 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 heard, I've heard many good things about yeah. this scene. It's been explained to me yeah. in enormous detail. It is a, it's one scene. It's, it's a remarkable... In, in, a, in a movie that's like so brilliantly researched, so historically researched, so historically accurate. And then suddenly there's this sort of, hello, <laughs> welcome, welcome. Hey, it's Churchill. Churchill. Good morning. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why I'm doing a sort of Dick Van Dyke thing with my, um, um, with my braces, with my cockney braces. But um, it's, and suddenly you think, yeah. But then, I mean, hell, I wrote Death of Stalin, which is full of made up stuff. But, is um, it? I'm sorry, so yeah. <laughs> He's still alive and here he is. Uh, anyway. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I'm sure refunds are available on your DVD <laughs> copy of Death of Stalin. <laughs> That's the end of the show. David Schneider, thanks for coming in, being our guest. Thank you. Thank God I'm so, so excited. And I, I there's an extra <clears throat> level where I'm in, even more impressed with your um, podcast now that I know that you sit on very uncomfortable stools uh, where you have to engage your core <laughs> so well. So when anyone slags the Metropolitan Elite for being soft and snowflakes, then this, this <laughs> Romaniacs, <laughs> the abs around this table are phenomenal. <laughs> but thank you for having me. And thanks also to Naomi and Ian. For this week's closing snippet of European language, let's have a bit of French from one of our rock and roll Romaniacs, Rhoda Dakar of the special AKA and the Body Snatchers. Au revoir et merci d'avoir écouté. 
and we're going to play out with Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop while we salute the majesty of our Patreon backers. Uh, thanks from me to Katie Hindmarch Watson, Sophie Vanekat, fantastic name, uh, Robin Phelps, Jonathan Priest, and Steve Granger. And a shout out from me to Julian Lom, Chris Hick, Thomas Jacks, David White, and Hare Barrett. Finally, thanks for me to Philip Pond, Simon Piver, Clive Bates, Peter Sivey, and apologies in advance, Jacek Smarzlik. <laughs> Sorry, Jacek. All right, Brexit. Bloody hell. Get the names right. <laughs> I tried. See you all next week. Remain the Axis presented by Dorian Lenski with Naomi Smith and Ian Dunn. Studio production was by Sophie Black and the producer was me, Andrew Harrison. Remain the Axis is a Podmasters production. Remain the Axis.